Well, if I were somehow perfectly organized, we would have ended with our review of the 2023 theme in 2023. But I'm not, and therefore we didn't. I wanted to finish up the section of 1 Timothy. Uh, you can understand that before we start the next chapter. So we missed it by one week. But we will, um, we will be beginning our new theme next year, next week, uh, in this new year. And, uh, and then I will introduce the theme then. I like to keep it a big secret, you know, until we, until we have that. But I do want to uh, thank those who uh, did complete the 2023 memory verses, which were part of the theme. So every year it's thematic of what we memorize, even if it's a whole, ch a whole chapter or a whole book, it's thematic. Um, and I just want to uh, just congratulate uh, Sally Allison, uh, Brenna Reyna, uh, Tim Albin, Kathleen Albin, Jack Weaver, Kim we, uh, Kitty Weaver and Kim Zayner. So, and myself, I was able to. I, I, I better, I better complete these. The whole thing would fall apart if I didn't. I'm sure. Although I must confess, uh, I had to play a little bit of a catch up in December. So, anyway, it is good. So, you can join. I'll, I'll also have the verse list out for this next year. You can do level one, which is one verse a month. One verse a month, or uh, three verses a month, level two, or level three. It'll be somewhere like eight or nine. In fact, it will even be uh, memorizing a complete book. I also am going to make available uh, other themes down through the years that we uh, did and the memory programs. And so you could do those if you decide not to do this year's, uh, unless you've already done it. Okay, you can't redo it. So um, anyway, so there'll be some theology classes, uh, memory verses with there, and uh, some other really, really good, good memory verses. Well, as we begin uh, the part two of our review of our theme, I, I really do appreciate this theme. I really like it. I really love it. Uh, it's really been always on my heart and my mind. Uh, it was pressing on toward the goal of Christ, meaning Christ-likeness. Now, you will go to several places of employment or even schools, and at times there are projects of character building, and they'll even name certain character qualities. And I think for the most part that's good if they're legitimate character qualities and not with a political bent to it. But what we're doing here and talking about is not the same thing. We're not talking about a character building program. What is said in the scriptures is much different. What is said in the scriptures, first of all, you have to be a believer to do this, to grow in Christ, to become Christ-like. You have to trust Christ as your Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, and you believe in him, and you trust in him. And the moment that you say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that moment you are forgiven. Isn't that incredible? Forgiven from all of your sins, past, present, future. Why wouldn't we do that? 
and you have the promise of eternal life being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit at that moment, then he works in your life. He who began a good work will continue it to the day of Jesus Christ. And what is that work? He is uh, conforming you to the image of Christ inwardly and outwardly through his power. In fact, if you were to think of words like sanctification, what is sanctification? Well, it, it really could be boiled down to the Lord is not only making us holy, but he's making us more like Christ. And what I'm excited about with this sermon is it's going to become very practical, very much where the rubber hits the road. We'll, we'll just quickly talk about the context of Philippians 3. We'll talk about the clarification of Christ-likeness. We'll talk about the call to Christ-likeness, and we did discuss that last week. But I wanted to talk about the causes to be Christ-like, or the reasons to be Christ-like. Why, why should I even work on that as a believer? You should be asking that, but, if, but let's throw that, throw that out there. Well, let's answer that. And then, what are some of the major character qualities that ought to be emulated by the believer? Some of the major ones. And then what I really want to get to is the considerations of Christ-likeness. How does he do it? in accordance with the trials, each and every trial in your life. So that's what we want to do this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, what's exciting about this, Lord, is that we're really on the same page this morning of what you are doing. It isn't just a good title for a theme or a good title for a sermon it is indeed our call. It is indeed what you are doing, our conformity, even our sanctification. But we must know you first and foremost as our Savior. Have the Holy Spirit. And then cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work in our heart and in our lives. So, Father, in saying goodbye to this theme, may we never say goodbye to your calling or to Christ-likeness, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, quickly, I want to begin, and I, I um, you know, I, I, I want to review a little bit, but I don't want to review too much, because I start to preach whatever review we're doing, but the context of Philippians 3, 14, as you can see it there, that was the verse for our theme this year. So turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, Verse 14, and of course it comes in the context, I understand that. We talked about that last week, we talked about it at the beginning of the year. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time now to go into that. But verse 14 comes down to Paul's desire, Paul's heart, Paul's understanding of what God is doing in our life and his participation, Paul's participation, and he says, I press on. Toward the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And first of all, we, we see this idea of pressing on. And here I go, you know, not in my notes, but, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach it anyway. Um, we see this pressing on 
Uh, and and it's, it's a present indicative. I keep on pressing on. That's the idea of it. This worthy goal that he's given us. Now, I just want to break it down. What is the goal? Now, there's a goal, there's a prize, and there's an upward call. What are they? Well, the goal is Christ-likeness here and now. Okay? That's what he's pressing on toward. He knows there's a future prize, but he's pressing on towards that now. The prize, when we get to heaven, is what? Christ-likeness. Perfected Christ-likeness. No sin. We struggle with sin now in this life. We will not struggle with sin in that life. And guess what? We will be Christ-like, like Christ. That is the prize that, that, that Christ is giving us. He's not, we, we didn't earn it by working our way there. It's given to us because of his grace. It's, it's, it's Christ's reward for us when he did the work. And then finally, it's the upward call. And this is where we get the idea that it's the upward call. When we get to heaven, we will be like Christ. And of course, everyone knows 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know it's Christ-likeness, we're pursuing it, we're studying the word, but we don't have it fully. We don't understand it fully. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Hallelujah, there it is. See, that, that is the prize and the upward call. I'm, I'm not making those things up. We will be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. Now we're studying ferociously to understand and know him and understand the power of his resurrection in us. And then it says, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, this whole idea of this 2023 theme, Christ-likeness, has an, a purifying effect. As we think of this upward call, we're going to be like Christ. We're going to be perfect in heaven. That has a purifying effect now. And what it is is, if I'm going to be like that in heaven, don't you think there ought to be a little resemblance of that now? Absolutely. Not only is there going to be a little resemblance, should be a little resemblance, but this is the work and the plan of God for believers. No matter what you're going through, this is the plan of God, Christ-likeness. As we clarify Christ-likeness, we gave out definitions last week. I'm not going to go through those, except to say this, that Christ is the exact representation of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, which not only means that he was God, but in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. We're being conformed to the image of God. He is the image of God, which makes him the perfect representative for us, especially knowing he became man, the God-man. 
Therefore, Christ is the perfect model for the believer of God's communicable attributes. That means those attributes in which we can have. There are certain attributes that God has that we are not going to ever have. Only God has those. But like love and righteousness and those things, holiness, which man can possess in a general sense, believers are enabled to be Christ-like through the Holy Spirit. The next one is a call to Christ-likeness. So last week, I, I, I didn't want you to just think, well, it's just a good sermon. Yeah, let's just be like Christ. I, I read through various scriptures. It says, be like Christ, be like Christ, be like Christ. We're conforming you to Christ. And one of them was Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. I will ask you to turn there, and I'll ask you to keep your bookmark there on your phone. This is a very, very important verse. Very, very important verse. One in which I'm going to key in on in this sermon, but not right away. And it says, Romans 8, 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That means he's working all things in our life to make us more like Christ. We'll pick that up in just a moment. Well, somewhere in this week as I'm tweaking, my sermons become longer. But hopefully I, I'm able to condense it. But... The, re, the, the thought occurred to me, you know, there may be a believer out there, I hope not, but it says, why? Why should I be conformed to Christ? Why, why should I pursue this? Well, I'd like to give a few reasons, and then we'll start looking at those character qualities in Christ that he is conforming us to. The first one is a simple one. It's God's will. It's God's will. We are commanded to do this. We are commanded to be Christ-like. So a main reason to be Christ-like is because God called us to it and commanded us to be Christ-like. And this is in Romans chapter 13, verse 14. And um, you don't have to turn there. I will go ahead and read it. All right. So Romans chapter 13, verse 14. And this is very clear of the believer's responsibility through cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Romans 13. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul is just so practical. And make no provision for the flesh in regard to his lust. So you can't be making provision of the flesh and be Christ-like. But he's commanding us, uh, really in a sense here, to be to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to live that out through God's Holy Spirit who lives in us, and this is what he's producing. So we could just stop right there, right? That's good enough. Uh, by the way, uh, if we're commanded to do it and we don't do it, what is that? That's called sin. We're disobeying. So this is one of the reasons why. But there's some other reasons, and they're very joyous reasons. Uh, they're very reasonable reasons. 
It's a very understandable reason. The next one is we are God's creation. So think about this. Think about who God is and, and all of his attributes. And then he has, he creates man. Do you think he's going to create man um, to pursue other attributes other than himself? And again, I'm talking about the communicable ones, the ones that we ought to have, the ones that he designed in us when it says he made man in his image. We weren't gods, but we were we have the potential of being loving. Not that we are always loving. We have the potential of being righteous. We have the potential of being holy, of being honest, of being faithful. That's, that's what it means. So God instilled this in his creation. Although, again, to be Christ-like, you have to be a believer. Now you say, well, I thought it's the image of God. Which is it? Is it the image of God or the image of Christ? Both or the same. And it's very interesting. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And, and you've got to follow with me. It's probably helpful if you were here last week. It's kind of putting these things together. Colossians 3, 10 says, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So the first thing I want to say is the new self that you're putting on or have put on in this case, positionally, the moment you came to Christ, is what? Christ. Christ-like character, the image of Christ. And you say, well, wait, whoa, 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 why are you saying Christ? It says according to the knowledge, according to the one who created him. Ah, we're in the book of Colossians. Do you remember what it said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16? For by him, that's Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So in the book of Colossians, I believe that is a reference to the image of Christ who is God, the Son of God, and added man. The third reason why we ought to be Christ-like is because it produces joy. And, and, I, and I know this isn't that, you know, it's not all about us. I understand that, but it does. So we would conclude that joy is one of God's emotions, but we even can maybe push that into one of his attributes because it is God who gives joy to man. We find out that even heaven, the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of heaven of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy, joy in the Holy Spirit. So the idea is if he created us with the potential of these attributes, when we produce these attributes... We have joy. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, you don't even realize why you're so happy. Well, you're living for the Lord. You're serving the Lord. That's, this is real joy. Joy is not in the world and in the sin of the world. There's no joy there. Oh, it looks like joy. It looks like fun. But in the end, it is not. This is joy from the beginning, the middle, to the end. Christ-like character. The next one is interesting. I call it reciprocation. 
And there's a, there's a, a spiritual logic in this. So think about this. If God extended his love, forgiveness, and mercy to us, we who are sinners and deserve to go to hell, but he extended it to us anyway, shouldn't we do the same extension to others? I mean, if not, what does that say? Well, we're just selfish believers. We just want the grace of God for ourselves. We don't care about anybody else, and I'll treat anybody else the way I want to. The way they deserve it, even though I deserve to go to hell. And he, he extended his grace to me. So there's this reciprocation. And you actually see this in verses. A uh, very prominent verse that we know is, But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Why? And this isn't talking about salvation. This is talking about once you are a believer. Why won't God forgive you if you don't forgive others? Because unforgiveness is a sin. And if you're continuing in sin, if you're continuing in unforgiveness, you have to make that right. And so if you're not forgiving someone, even in the midst of deep trials and pain and scars, you're not reciprocating in the way that God wants you to as one of his creation and now new creation in Christ. The next one is, the reason is, is experience. I believe that there is an, uh, an element that when we feel, feel and experience trials and we have an opportunity to feel and experience what Christ experienced. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. It doesn't mean that these trials are common or these temptations are, are common. It means it's in the realm of humanity. Everyone has them to some degree or another. Even Christ, the God-man, he was tempted and yet was without sin. The idea is he experienced it, and, and, and some of this we don't experience till we become a believer and we experience and we know what he went through. More importantly, he didn't have to become a man. He didn't have to come and die on the cross. He didn't have to provide salvation, especially knowing he was going to have to experience being a man acquainted with griefs and despised and hated. He didn't have to do that. But he did it in order to come and die on the cross. So when we experience those things, we could say, this is what Christ experienced for me. This is what Christ experienced in order to go to the cross and pay for my sins so that I could have salvation. The next one is the love for Christ or love Christ. And this, this should make sense. If we truly love Christ, and, and notice, you remember what Romans said? You know, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. That's a description of a believer. A believer is one who loves God. Now, maybe, our, maybe the degree is different from different times in our life, but it ought to be there at all. And when we love Christ, we ought to love his attributes, the beauty of the Lord, of who he is. And if I truly love those things and I'm a believer, don't I want to emulate him? Of course. And so we do that. How about the Apostle Paul, which just a few verses earlier than the one we're looking at said, oh, that I may know him. I want to know him. 
I want to know all about him. I want to know who he is, and I want to know his attributes. And, and there's that element of practical, and I want to not only know him, but I want to emulate him. For he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, living in and through the believer now. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul, you're getting a little radical here. Being conformed to his death. No, he's not radical. He loves Christ. This is the degree that we all ought to push towards. So if we love Christ, then we would want to know Christ and emulate these qualities that we love about Christ. And then finally, another reason or a cause why we should be Christ-like is opportunity to minister. When believers are Christ-like, then they will have more opportunity to minister to others. What am I saying? Well, I'm saying that if you're Christ-like to an unbeliever, maybe even you're going through trials with them, or maybe they're not being kind to you, or, 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 or whatever the reason, and, and I could go petty, 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 pettier, you know, little pettier things, you didn't stop right away at that stop sign. You did a rolling stop, you know, and now my day is ruined. Wow, a little pathetic if that's what we're struggling with today. But if I'm kind and I don't react with road rage, you know, they may say, wow, why did he act like that? Why did she act like that? Because we are pursuing Christ's likeness and it opens up the door for opportunity as the Holy Spirit is showing the world Christ and drawing all men to him. And maybe even through the Christ-like in your life. Well, how about for other believers? Well, try ministering to others in an unchristlike way. It doesn't work. And if you're among faithful believers, you're likely to be encouraged not to act like that again. So we have this very interesting. In Galatians, Paul said this to the Corinthians, the you know, the high maintenance church, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. And so he's saying, he's saying to them, I'm sorry, this is the, the Galatian church. I have one from the Corinthian church. Uh, but this is to the Galatian, and he wasn't too thrilled with them either. <laughs> Who hath bewitched you? He, 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 is, he is forming Christ in them. That's the goal. Well, you have to act Christ-like. Or else, let me get this straight. You want me to act like Christ, but you're not acting like Christ? You know, I suppose only a parent gets away with, don't do as I do, do as I say. But you know, no parent really gets away with that. But th that, that, that principle isn't even a part of Christianity. And then to the church of high maintenance, he says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And so the, he, he imitates Christ, which we all ought to imitate, but we also ought to be an example. Wow, what a level. You know, Lord, take us to that level. Maybe that should be our theme next year, this year. Well, I, you know, you, you want to really get into it, you know, at some point. And what, what are you talking about? What kind of character, what kind of example of Christ are we talking about? And 
I'm not saying these are the only ones, and I'm not necessarily saying they're the most important ones, but these are ones that come to the forefront. And I'll just mention them. The first one would be worship and prayer. That's just what we ought to be emulating. Being a humble servant, that's a biggie. His love, we ought to be emulating that. We ought to be emulating his righteousness, doing what's right. And we ought to be emulating his obedience, his perfect obedience. Well, let's start at the beginning. And now we've turned in our sermon now from kind of the amenities to let's get into the nitty-gritty of some of those character qualities of Christ that we ought to have in our lives and why. And then we'll take it one step further and get very practical. The first one is worship and prayer. So if you were to search the scriptures to know him and see the kind of worship that he had, you would see that he worshiped in the temple. You would see that he worshiped in synagogue, in the synagogue. You would see that he worshiped in prayer, and, and his prayer life is unbelievable. Did a study uh, and then preached on it numerous times of the prayer life of Jesus. Incredible. Um, you see, his life was a byproduct of his constant worship of the Father. Now, why would he worship the Father when he himself is God? Because he's the God-man. And as the perfect man, he would worship God. And you remember when Satan came to tempt him to worship him, he wanted Christ to worship him. What did he say? Go, Satan, for it is written, went back to the word, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So that's why Jesus did not worship Satan, because he was worshiping the Lord his God. And he even called the Father his God in his humanity. We think of worship and we think of even Christ as he taught in the synagogue. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He went to church, is what we would say today. And it, it, notice what it says. And he came to Nazareth. This is where he had been brought up. As I said that, I'm thinking of the next phrase, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom. He was accustomed to worshiping. He was accustomed to going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He was accustomed going to church. That ought to be our custom. And he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. It was his turn to read. And he took the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 61. It's the one in which this Bible is open to. It's one of my favorite ones. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he stops right in the middle of a, of a verse. He was dispensationally correct. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But the idea is that he went to worship. He did worship. He was concerned about the word. And then prayer 
you will hear about a lot of prayer warriors down through Christian history, even recent Christian history, and thank you for them. We all need to try to emulate them, myself included, but there was none better than the Lord Jesus Christ praying before ministry, during ministry, after ministry, often getting up uh, in the morning very, very early just to pray, sometimes not even going to bed at night just to pray. He was, I believe, in prayer so much that a third of what the disciples had to do with their, and their time with him was to try to locate him. They, they couldn't find him half the time because he was somewhere praying. And one of those times it said, Master, we were looking for you. And then they said, teach us to pray. Because he's always praying, teach us to pray. And of course he did. We as believers need to emulate Christ in worship and in prayer. Worship is for real. It's not just a word. It is for, it's what we're doing right now. It's what we did a moment ago when we sang. It's what we'll be doing after church is over and we'll be fellowshipping together, encouraging one another. That is worship. And guess what? We'll still be worshiping when we leave the door. Our whole life ought to be a byproduct of our worship and our prayer. We ought to emulate and be Christ-like. Secondly, we are to be Christ-like in that we're humble servants. Christ came humbly, and Christ came as a servant. And think about it. We're talking about God. Now, think about you, your possessions, what you own, your property. And you ought to be able to do whatever you want in your property. And you're probably not going to give your property away. Here's God who owns not only cattle on a thousand hills, he owns all the hills. And God comes to become a humble man who is a servant to not only do the will of God, but to serve man and provide salvation. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's go to verse 7, though, first. Philippians 2, verse 7. But he emptied himself, talking about Christ, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Because that's what men should do. Men should be humble, and they should serve God, and they should have the character quality of, of serving. And then it says, being found in appearance as a man, he, he did what a man should do. He did what mankind should do, but we're not very good at it. And we're especially not good at it in the United States. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Humble? We don't humble ourselves. We lift ourselves up. We exalt ourselves. But he's God, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient of course, to the will of God. What was the will of God? By becoming obedient to the point of death. Well, we're all going to die, even death on a cross. This is the humility and the servanthood. 
And we ought to be doing that ourselves. Romans 12, 3 says, For through the grace God given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each measure of faith. And then Christ, he said, it is not this way among you, meaning mankind, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And you would, you would have trouble anybody admitting that. The world would never admit that. And I think sometimes you would have trouble finding Christians that would admit that. In fact, usually the servant among believers is never recognized. That's just how he is. He's just a servant. That's just how she is. She just goes around serving. But a discerning believer would say, that's it. That's the one. That's the one who we ought to be imitating because obviously they're imitating Christ. We don't like to be servants. We don't like to be slaves. But that is the character of Christ. And so it is kind of interesting. So at times we will haphazardly pray, Lord, make me like the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next thing you know, we're being treated like a servant. God's answering his prayer. And we're sending that prayer request right back up again. How about love? How about love? Well, the greatest demonstration of love was Christ dying on the cross. And numerous times when it talks about the love of Christ, it's in the past tense. Not because he stopped loving them, but because that was his greatest demonstration of love when he died on the cross. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we're yet sinners. By the way, that's the basis for forgiving other people. While they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. Well, I'm not going to forgive that sinner. That sin isn't worthy of forgiveness. And yet we walk around forgiven. Something not right with that. We also find out that it says that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. No disappointments, no trials, no sin, no failures. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And right away, that's telling us that's what we ought to emulate. That's, that's the Christian life. It may not be what we see in Christendom today, but that is the Christian life. I'm sorry. It's Christ-like living. It's being conformed to the image of Christ. In fact, we find in the New Testament that that's the sign that we're believers. Jesus gave a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Incredible. First John says, we know love by this. Well, what is love? That he laid down his life for us. And then here comes that spiritual logic. We need to get this. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If he did it and we're to emulate him, we ought to do it. And then there's righteousness. 
there's righteousness, perfect righteousness in Christ's case. Christ's righteousness given to us the moment we believe in Christ. But we have Christ who kept the law perfectly. He did not sin. That's why he was able to be our mediator and die on the cross. Now, I'm not saying that our objective is to obey the law so that we can be saved. Absolutely not. We must admit that we haven't obeyed the law. We've sinned and fall upon the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That is what it is. We are under grace. But we see his righteousness, and there's so many times and, and events of Christ's life that we could see this. But the one that always keeps coming back to me is when he goes to get baptized by John the Baptist, and he's asking the people to come and a baptism of repentance. But with perfect righteousness, Christ doesn't need to repent. But when he comes there, he says, permit it at this time, for in this way it is, for, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It was the right thing to do as a man. It was the right thing to do as a man. It also was an identification. He was identifying himself with us sinners. God, the Son, identifying with us as sinners. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. Help us to practice righteousness. Help us to do what's right, right biblically and right in general. And then, of course, obedience. And this is very similar to that, very similar to that. In fact, we saw that in verse um, 8, being of, of Philippians Two, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedience. If he was not obedient, we wouldn't be saved. We would still need a savior. But he had perfect obedience. It showed again that he was sinless. And it was even written about him in the Old Testament of his obedience. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And in John chapter 4, where do you want to go to eat after church? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That was his desire. And all of his actions in his high priestly prayer, he said, Lord, I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work which you gave me to do. And as believers, we ought to be obedient not for salvation, but because of salvation, and because this is Christ-like character. It's, it's good character. We ought to be like this. We're told in Colossians 1 to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How could it be worthy of the Lord? Like the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We're yielding to the Holy Spirit and his influence to live Christ-like life. And so we see these. But I want to just move in the short time that we have remaining. And I'm, I'm chuckling because I didn't turn my clock on, my timer right away. And I'm not going to ask back there how much time do we have. 
This is worth it. And, and I, I, I plan to go through this quickly or quicker. <laughs> but I do want to go now to the considerations of Christ-likeness. Let's talk about where the, the rubber hits the road. Turn to Romans 8, 28 and 29. This is what God is doing, not only internally through the Holy Spirit, but externally in everything that happens in your life every moment, every day. That's what it says, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What? What did he predestine for believers? To be conformed to the image of his son. Now let me just take a few moments and work through this verse. This is saying that God causes all things to work together for good. Both bad and good. Both good and bad. When it says all things, it doesn't mean that he's responsible for bringing evil into the world or evil into your life, but he has allowed it because he's sovereign and he's allowed it because he's going to cause it to work together for good. Now, what is good? Well, what it really is to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the good. He does it to glorify himself, but he does it for the good. What is Verse 29 answers it. It says that for those whom he foreknew, and he's talking about believers, before the foundation of the world, that they would become believers. He predestined things to happen, to become conformed to the image of his son. And that would mean, again, not that he brought evil in, but there's times that he allows evil. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find out a lot of evil that he never allowed to come in. And we look at the world and we go, oh my word, look at all the evil. That's the evil that he allowed. Because for one reason or another, he's accomplishing his purposes. And he's accomplishing his purposes in you to make you more like Christ. It's an incredible principle. And it says the image of Christ, the nature of Christ, not just character building, you know, not just in a school it says, you know, we need to be considerate or whatever. You know, this is, this is, he's, we're back on the easel. We never destroyed the image of God when we sinned. We marred it. But when we become believers, we're back on the easel and he's conforming us to the image, to the nature, to the Christ likeness. Of Christ. He's conforming us. There's a there's a, a metamorphosis going on there. It's part of the word, and it's, it's metamorphosing it together. The things that are good that happen to you and the things that are bad that happen to you, they are making you like Christ. That is good. That's what's happening. That's sanctification. And we find out that He even predestined these things. He is making us like Christ. That's how sovereign he is, and that's why I allowed Jack to read verse 30, which shows, puts it all together, and these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. It's a done deal with the sovereign God. 
But right now, what he's dealing with is us. He who began a good work in you will continue it to the, to the day of Jesus Christ. What's, what's the good work? Conforming us to the image of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to mention a few things. How about diligence? If we're dealing with a hard task, or a task gets harder, a task almost seems impossible. Is that wasted? Is it just a mistake? Is it your boss's mistake? This is incredibly hard. God is developing the character quality of diligence in you. Christ had diligence. John 5, 17, my father is working until now and I myself am working. He was always working, always doing the ministry. And, and if we want to go from, you know, very practical, that my task is getting hard, so the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to throw in the towel. Wow! Praise God, God was not like that. Praise God, who didn't go to the, praise God that the father didn't go to the son and said, you are not going to believe this. We've got to do a redo, a mulligan, because we created them, and it only took three chapters, and they sinned, and then we had to write the rest of the Bible to, to help them get out of sin and come to Christ and become like you. No, they didn't throw in the towel. And so I, I, I'm not saying that there aren't other options that we could do, talk to the boss or whatever, but ultimately we ought to say, wow, he's making me more like Christ. He is causing all things to work together for good, make me like Christ. Well, let's move on, and, and it gets, we're going to go a little bit from the mundane to the spiritual how about forgiveness? Let's, let's, you know, let's go right to the juggler. If we are offended with the sin of others, somebody offended us, how should we respond? Or even dealing with the sins of others, how should we respond? Should we get mad? No, we should realize that we are being conformed to Christ who was forgiving and restoring to others to to you know to do a character study of the Lord Jesus Christ would be a, a great study take forgiveness for example and do a study of the gospels and look at all the times that Christ forgave how about when he was on the cross father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing Could you imagine the anger and wrath of the Father seeing these particular men crucifying his son? Oh, yes, it was for our salvation. Make no mistake. But God is a God of multiple attributes. And even though in the Old Testament he used Nebuchadnezzar to put punishment on other sinful nations and punishment even on his own people, to bring about the good for his people, he also punished the Babylonians. So the son prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That is the epitome of it. And then how should we emulate Christ? Look at Ephesians 4.32. 
Ephesians 4.32, here's that re, uh, reciprocation principle I was talking about. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Why? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Because it's the attribute of God, because you're one of his creation, because you're the new creation, because you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, because the Holy Spirit is working in you, because he's conforming you to Christ, you should forgive to be Christ-like. Otherwise, when we're unforgiven, we are not Christ-like. Let's be honest. That behavior is not Christ-like. You might think it's justified. You might think it's, they're worthy of it. You might think you have a right, but it's not Christ-like. It's not Christ-like. And so we ought to emulate forgiveness of sin. So when people forgive us, it could be God working in your life to be more like Christ, to show the forgiveness of Christ. That's what matters to God. It doesn't matter how he has to work it in your life. May not like one job because of the things that they're doing. You go get another job. You ever notice how certain things seem to follow you anyway? Because God's not done with you yet. You know, or the, you know, I've always heard the example of the rebellious teenager. I can't wait to get out of this house, out from under the house and authority of my parents. I'm going to go join the army. <laughs> yeah, good. And perfect plan. God's like, you got it. I'm allowing you and permitting you to do it because I'm going to still work on you. And this is the way we should view everything that happens to us. For one, it will get rid of bitterness. It'll bring back joy in our life. We'll have less sleepless nights. You ever, you ever mull things over and have a sleepless night? How do I even know about those things? <laughs> How about disappointments? There are disappointments in life. There are disappointments with people. There are disappointments with, with uh, you know, with, with things and cars and, you know, especially in wintertime. That's usually when we become disappointed in those things. If we experience disappointments, we are experiencing what Christ experienced. He experienced disappointment, you know. And, 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 you know, when, when I say these and I give the human examples and then I, I look at Christ, it's like our, our disappointments are so petty. How about when he came to Jerusalem, the city of David, where Christ, the son of David, will sit on the throne in the millennial kingdom? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. Yep, they kill them. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Disappointments? He was acquainted with them. He was acquainted with them. Jesus wept. How about a servant? And I've already talked about a servant, but... You know, the thing is, Christ was a servant. And how about we go through situations when you feel like a servant or a slave, you know? I'm not going to be their personal slave. No, but in love, you could be a Christ-like servant and further the kingdom of God. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Sorrows. We're talking about deep sorrows. What about if we experience sorrows in life and they're hard? The death of a loved one. I think, I think, I think the death of my mother was, was probably one of the hardest things. I, 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 when I experienced that, I understood what sin did. What happened in the fall. The wages of sin is death. My mother is dying and gasping for her last breath, and I'm watching her chest heave. And no human should experience that, let alone my mother. And I was a little mad. I was a little mad at sin and the death that it brings. And I said, this is it. This is what the curse is, and we've all got it. What about these sorrows? What about the sorrows that Christ suffered? He wept when Lazarus was dead. But he brought him back to life. But Isaiah 53, wow, he was despised. You ever been despised? You think God might have allowed that? So you experienced what Christ experienced? And forsaken of men. We're not going to hang around him. A man of sorrows. You know, we... We are a good humored people, and I love humor. I think humor is witty. I, I think there's a wisdom with humor. I mean, what good is sorrow? There is a soberness with sorrow. There is an understanding of the realities of life. And it's okay with our humor, but Lord, don't let us let our humor forget about the realities of life. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faith, he, face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. He's just a servant. He just acts good. That's the way he is. He just wants to be that way. Yeah, yeah, because he was the son of God. And, and when we go through those things, he is, he is making us more like him. And, and there is a Sorrows are not good, but there is a good spiritual effect because of the hand of God at the end of the day, making us more like Christ. What about difficult people? How to get to that one? Can't quit. What about difficult people? What if you're working with difficult people, dealing with difficult people? Is there, are there undifficult people in this world <laughs> besides me? <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, when you, when you start to go through the Webster's Dictionaries and you get into these and you see difficult, yeah, it also stands for Daryl, I get it. When, we, when we're dealing with people that we, difficult, just throw in a towel, go get another job. Why? God is, is allowing this to happen in your life. To be more like Christ. To hang in there and keep ministering to them. And we hear story after story, testimony after testimony. Someone who would not yield. Someone who would not yield. But, but the believer was faithful. And one day it clicked. Changed forever. We see Jesus, you know, having Peter... Difficult Peter, he, sometimes he was difficult, sometimes he wasn't. It was hit or miss. 
So when we came up to Jesus, I wonder if Jesus was wincing. What's it going to be? No, I'm, I, you know, I'm sure not. But how about when Peter said, I'm going with you to the end. And Jesus had to tell him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you, a rooster will not grow until you deny me three times. Of course, Peter did reciprocate. And he grew when he had the Holy Spirit. And when he was martyred, he said, they were going to crucify him. He said, crucify me upside down, tradition tells us. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. That's what happens when you stick with difficult people. I remember one time in the grocery store, we had a guy come through my line. And I'm telling you, he had a scowl, and he was kind of nasty. And I just, just for the fun of it, I mean, what else are you going to do uh, when it gets busy and you're checking people through, you know, the electronic thing? You're not even typing in the, the price anymore. You just click it. And I said, you know what? Just for the fun of it, I am going to make it a goal to make this guy smile. I am going to befriend this guy. And it took a while. But I, lo and behold, it eventually happened. And he would come in and we would actually joke around. What about when you're dealing with unbelievers? You know, that's a tough one. You know, they're arguing about Christianity. And, and there's a frustration with talking to unbelievers and, and even sometimes believers. When you're telling them what the, the truth of the Bible and they just won't get it. And you're like, how can you not get it? It's so clear. Well, there's a frustration there. You're being conformed to Christ. You know, how about when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, you're a teacher. You should know these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man go back into his mother's womb? Really, Nicodemus? Really? That's the level you're on? Of course, he became a believer. But the scripture tells us, that the Lord's bondservant, that's us, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been captive by him to do his will. How about trials, devastating trials, hardships. How about all of those things? Jesus in the garden, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He's struggling. Drops of blood. Should we not as well? And James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why would you say that to me? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces, produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, how do you describe perfect and complete? Christ-likeness. What if you're not liked? What if you're not liked by people? You know, that, that really bothers some people more than others. But, you know, you, you just have to be accepted and feel accepted. Jesus said, 
if the world hates you because of him, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. How could you hate Christ? How could you hate this person who died on the cross for us, his greatest demonstration of love? How could someone, how could someone like, like you? And I, I mean that. I'm, I got a smile on my face, but I mean that. I'm very sober about it. They surely showed their sinful nature and, and all of those things. How about if you're falsely accused? Now, that, that, that's too far. What about being falsely accused? Was Christ ever falsely accused? He never would have made it to the cross if he wasn't falsely accused. Matthew 26, now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony. <laughs> against Jesus so that they might put him to death. So they're asking people to lie. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Nah, that's not going to work. That's silly. But later on, two came forward and said and kind of twisted it. This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Well, we all know what that meant. That's what they used. Falsely accused. What happens if you're falsely accused? What do you do? You know, I'm not saying you don't ever try to straighten it out, but you don't straighten it out by wrath, anger, argument, yelling, fighting, but by the character of Christ. Now I know. Now I know what he experienced while he was being taken to the cross to die on the cross for me. Thank you. Thank you for taking that false accusation, and I will not resist this false accusation and along with that, I'm thinking of being reviled, when he was reviled, being treated harshly, or even persecution. And I'm not talking about little stuff, but what happens when you're reviled? You're rebuked needlessly. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. And here's one, kind of meditating on this this week, and it's still intellectually beyond me. You've heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And of course, laws are built on that, and that's good, because there are to be, there's to be restitution. But I, Jesus, your Lord and Savior, who have this attitude in me and the nature in me, say to you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist him. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Who acts like that? The Lord Jesus Christ. And we God is not finished with us yet. We are becoming like him more and more. And as for persecution and suffering, listen to what the scripture says. For you have been called for this purpose. What? You've been called since Christ also suffered for you. Reciprocation. Leaving you an example to follow in his steps. 
And so we see these principles here. And this is what it means to be Christ-like. And it is life-changing. It's, it's not something on a billboard in a character-building program. It is life-changing. And what will happen if people see you act like this, unbelievers will not believe it. They will remain an unbeliever that way. But they could become a believer to see the way that you treated them, even though they deserve the worst. And I've heard of testimonies like that, where an unbeliever did as many bad things as he could to get that person upset. Or how about ministry? Now, I was talking with someone, and I'm, this is my closing illustration. I was talking with someone yesterday, and you know, we were both admitting that if we could just remember this principle, these principles, how much better our life would be, how much more Christ-like, how much more trouble-free. And by the way, you know, most of what we've been talking about is trials by other people, other things. What about the trials we in incur our ourselves? I mean, some of this stuff happens to us to, to change us, you know? Some of this happens to us to get our attention that maybe there is a character flaw in my Christian life and it's time that I change it. Maybe I am being treated harshly because I am treating some others harshly. Maybe I'm not the dearest and the nearest to some people because at that moment in my Christian life, God isn't the nearest and the dearest to me. And God says, I'm a jealous God. I, 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 I want your worship. I want your love. One of the ways in which not to forget is to thank him every time these things happen. Everything that happens to you, we should say, what character of God or what character of Christ is God conforming in me? And then thank him that God is ultimately using this to conform you to Christ. In everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus in everything. Now, you're not thanking him for the sin, but you're thanking him for causing it to work together for good. Now, do remember, he's sovereign and he allowed it. He could have stopped it, but he allowed it. And Ephesians 5.20, which I believe is also part of the filling of the Spirit, it's part of those words, always giving thanks for all things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Lord, it doesn't feel good. Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you for, and even I don't know exactly what, why or what you're developing in me. I, I thank you for it, Lord. And it doesn't take long to kind of figure out as I look at his character and my character flaw to know what character he's developing in me through that situation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Probably one of the most important sermons. Lord, I need this as much as anyone else. And Lord, help us not forget it. We look at life and when things happen to us, all we see is human agent, human agent, human agent. And we disregard the sovereign God who predestined us and predestined our conformity to Christ. And we find ourselves not resisting an evil person. We find ourselves resisting to you, our loving, sovereign God who possesses all of these character qualities displayed to us in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was walking to the cross. 
It is a bold prayer then, but I will pray it. Lord, make us more like Christ, that we can glorify you and that we can be used of you and we can be more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.